Ministry Mentorship, Episode 30. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministry. Before we get started, I'd like to thank everyone who participated in our live Bible study on Tuesday. Uh, we had uh, Rachel Calthorpe from Chicago, Illinois with us speaking on the subject of relationships and she did just a phenomenal job and I know that you're going to want to make sure to watch the next live Bible study in February. You can find the schedule and, and other resources by going to ministrymentorship.com backslash Bible dash study, or you can click on the resource link at the top of our website. Let me just say that if you have a question, testimony, or a comment about ministry mentorship, you can send an email to jacobtapia at ministrymentorship.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-T-A-P-I-A at ministrymentorship.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you can also help us spread the word about ministry mentorship by liking or tweeting this interview or going to our iTunes podcast and uh, leaving us a rating there. We'd greatly appreciate it. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Mark and Jordan Brown. The Browns are pastors at the Jesus Church in Waterton, South Dakota, and brother and sister Brown are soul winners and you'll be able to feel their passion for reaching the lost for Christ in this interview. The godly example that they're setting of, of listening to the voice of God and being willing to go wherever the Lord leads is such a tremendous example to follow, and, and I know this interview is going to challenge you to draw closer to God and to really follow his voice. Uh, let's join the conversation now. Okay, we're here today with Mark and Jordan Brown. They are from Watertown, uh, South Dakota, and they pastor the Jesus Church, and they have been uh, the youth president for South Dakota for six years, been pastoring for seven years, and uh, Brother Brown uh, has been in ministry for 11 years, uh, and him and his wife have labored very diligently, and we're so thankful to have them. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Now, tell us a little bit about your story. All right. Well, I'm a uh... You said I've I've been in uh, Watertown, South Dakota, the past seven years. Um, went out there when uh, my wife and I, when we were 22 years old, to build up church work. Um, graduated from Bible College and made the trek out there. And um, I'm 29 now, and um, we uh, are not from South Dakota. I'm from Chicagoland area, South Side. My family, um, my mom and dad, you know, growing up, they were there in the church. They got saved when I was born. My parents were into the drug scene, party scene. They're into cocaine. My mom was in a gang and in prison for attempted manslaughter. Uh, so they, they were living it up, you know. And uh, eventually they got in the church, got saved, and they did everything they could to try to keep us four kids on track and right. And uh, something happened when I got into the sixth grade, found out there's this whole cool scene, and I, I thought my parents were trying to keep me back from them. And so I got, I just went headlong into it, and um, basically from my sixth grade year to my senior year in high school, 
Uh, I just wasn't living for God. And uh, it was 18 when my pastor, Terry Cox, preached the sermon and scared the hell into me. <laughs> and I ran to that altar, and I, I wept. I, I thought I was going to hell in a handbasket, and um, that changed my life. And uh, from that point, you know, I just thought I was going to, um, you know, just work construction with family and maybe get married when I'm 40 and just be help at the church. And uh, God, God dealt with me very strongly uh, just before I was graduating uh, from high school. I had to go to Bible college, and I had no idea why, um, but I simply went. And it was a very difficult decision for me to go because um, I felt I didn't feel worthy. I felt like, uh, I mean, I struggled when I was when I was cook. I wanted to get my life right with God, but I just I had so much regret and remorse knowing that, you know, I backslid, I spit in God's face, and he'll never take me back. And and so when I felt to go to Bible college, I had no idea why. Like, hmm. why would I go to Bible college? What am I going to do with a Bible degree? You know, can't make any money. And uh, so went there and went to IDP for four years, graduated, and that's when we made her check out the South Dakota. Sister Brown, tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. I was born and raised in North Dakota, and my parents were saved about three years before I was born. So I had the privilege of being raised in the truth. I received the Holy Ghost and was baptized at age seven. And then my teenage years were filled with a lot of ups and downs and not always putting God first, not always doing the right things. I, I knew I had I received a call from God at a youth camp at age 14 that I was constantly feeling the call of the world also, and so I kind of fought back and forth. And um, then I I went to college when I was 19 to nursing school, and um, while I was doing my generals at that time, and then I met my husband, and I moved to Indianapolis, transferred, and I was still in nursing school. And I did another year of nursing school, and then I felt to go to IBC, and um, so I dropped nursing school, and I went to IBC for a year, and this time we were married already, so it was my husband's senior year that I went with him. And then... um, by the time that was over, God has called us to South Dakota, and so we moved here, and then I actually did finish my nursing degree when we got here, but you know, I would have never been able to do what we're doing now if it would have been for that year at IBC, so thankful that God put me there. Amen. Amen. Thank God for that. Now, talk to us a little bit about how you both uh, got started in ministry. Um, well, in one one word for me, it'd be Sleva. Uh, Jim Sleva <laughs> is an uh, instructor at, at Bible College, and um, when I, like I said before, I didn't want to go to really Bible College. I had no idea why or what. So I went there. I just kind of was standoffish. Didn't really interact with anybody. Just was focusing on school class, whatever. And um, Jim Sleva just kind of saw me sitting like a creeper in the back of the lunchroom all by myself, and he walked out over there and uh, started interacting with me and wanted to hang out with me, and uh, I didn't really know why and everything about me. I had red flags up. I'm like, what's this old single man 
<laughs> a young little guy like me, you know, I just, that's how I thought in the city. I'm like, who's this, this weird guy? But he just started telling me things, man, uh, outreach and, and plugging in. Here's this guy in his fifties, um, hanging out with gangbangers, you know, and he took me to a funeral on our forget and took me to the coffin of this 12 year old kid that got gunned down over a drug deal with another 12 year old. Mm. I mean, I'm walking this cash and there's like just piles of weed and hundred dollar bills in there. I never, never been to a funeral like that wow. but you know here's Sleva you know throwing down with all these guys and I was just like amazed and from that moment I just he was special to me like this guy has a passion for souls and he can yeah. connect with any age group and any culture and so he basically you know he lives by the saying exposure breeds the burden and he exposed me to things and uh, it just breeds you the burden and um, first thing you know he just started showing me needs and there was a ministry that IVC called Bread Run. No one was doing it at the time, and no one was handing out this bread that was just given to the school. And so I just said, okay, here's a need. And I picked it up, and I started going out every week to some ghettos and just going door-to-door, handing out bread, uh, developing relationships and Bible studies and prayer. And then he showed me a need of a soup kitchen hmm. that IVC used to be involved with, and feeding the homeless. And so no one was doing it, so I just, I just did it. So I was feeding the homeless on, I'd open up the place every Sunday morning and feed the homeless. And um, there's a little chapel in there, and they wanted to hear the word. So I just started, you know, connecting with them and preaching. Mm-hmm. And then there used to be a ten revivals that I used to see. And again, so they just like, man, nobody's doing it. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'll do it. And so I <laughs> I had no idea even how to build a tent and put it up. But started doing ten revival every year at IBC. And then... um. There's a ministry called Jesus House, which was in the kind of in the rough areas of the neighborhood in Indianapolis for non-traditional youth that probably couldn't make it very well in Tavern Tabernacle, and so started there and I started doing uh, kids ministry and freaking praying with the kids, and then um, then I got exposed to young adults uh, class. They needed someone to uh, play guitar and sing, and um, there was a need, and I simply met the need, and so I started. Which is a really embarrassing, humbling act because I, I never sang or played guitar before. I just started doing that with the Jesus House kids, and uh, no one, no one was helping out at young adults class, and they asked us to do it. And man, I was just dying, I was sweating to death, scared <laughs> out of my mind. And uh, you want know to embarrassing? I don't even know how to play guitar. Sing. And all of a sudden, on Sunday morning, there's praise and chorale downstairs for IVC, and we're playing in front of them. Oh no. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was rough stuff, but basically, I just got involved doing things that were not getting done that Sleva exposed me to, and so I'm going to Bible college, 22 credit hours. I'm working 40 hours a week. I'm married, and I'm doing these five ministries every week: the bread run, the soup kitchen, tent revival, Jesus House, young adults, and uh, I just I never I never could say no. My heart was just bleeding for. Mm for these needs to help out, and um, and that helped prepare me for the need out here in South Dakota. Wow. That's great. Sister Brown, what about you? Um, I I sang at my home church and helped teach Sunday school. Other than that, that's pretty much all I did while I was home in North Dakota. And then um, when I met my husband, he pretty much was like a brother sleeper to me. He exposed me <laughs> to everything that he was doing. Uh-huh. And I 
I'm like extremely shy person. It was really hard for me to talk to people, put on my shell. But he had such a passion for reaching people, and he dragged me along with him. And uh, eventually, his passion for people and outreach became my own passion and my own burden. Now, Brother Brown, talk to us about the that turning point, that I guess that moment when you started feeling like, you know, I need to pastor. I mean, you you were in your 20s which is a kind of a rare thing nowadays to see a pastor in their 20s that's pastoring a church. Talk to us a little bit about that. What was that turning point for you to start pastoring? I don't, I don't know if I would necessarily pin it to a point more than it was. It was more of a process than it was a point for me. I don't have this singular moment where it's like the Lord's like, just say it to the Lord, go yeah. pastor. You know, it wasn't anything like that. Um, but in this process of doing these, as soon as I mentioned earlier, ministry at, at Indiana Bible College, um, I found myself every semester I was getting pulled in directions. So one one semester, I mean, it was just been about I, I I just felt so overwhelmed with outreach, especially urban evangelism in ghettos. And so I'm thinking at that point, I'm like, you know, maybe maybe after Bible College, I'll I'll help you know lead outreach mm-hmm. at a church. And then another semester, you know, I'm involved with the Jesus House, and my heart's just bleeding for kids, you know. And so, like, I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? Maybe maybe my focus, maybe God wants me to be involved with, you know, being a youth leader. Uh, and then the next semester, you know, I, I, I started getting this passion for music, and I've never played music before or anything. And I, I literally had to beg God to help me. I just wanted to be able to play guitar and sing to connect with kids. I mean, God one day... I mean, he miraculously just gave me that ability. I'm not great or anything, but I can do it. And, uh, and so all of a sudden I got a passion for music. Maybe I was like, maybe I could help out at a church and, you know, lead worship and be involved with a music team. And then I had a heart for, for uh, home missions churches, and I started getting involved with, you know, seeing other churches, and I was like, man, it'd be really neat to help a small work. And another semester I'm feeling a passion to go overseas, you know, to another country, another culture. And so I'm, by my senior year, I'm confused. I have no idea what's going on. I, I have a burden for South America. I have a burden mm. for another culture. I have a burden for, for children. I have this passion for, for young adults. I have this passion for music. I have this passion for homeless people. And I'm like, I just, I thought I was going to fall apart. And long story short, um, uh, I had uh, some friends at IDC that went to, uh, were from South Dakota, and they told me horror stories about South Dakota. Like, anytime I was down, out, you know, sad, they just tell me some crazy stories <laughs> of South Dakota, and they just, I would laugh so hard. I just didn't believe these stories. Huh. And I was like, who in their right mind would live in that godforsaken life? <laughs> and uh, one day, one of my friends was getting married in Indianapolis, and they had some family come from South Dakota, that wedding and um, after the wedding's all done where I go back to the hotel and visiting with his family and as I'm leaving it's, it's like one in the morning this uh, gentleman he's he's a farmer he walks me out he goes let me walk you out I'm thinking oh, that's kind of weird you know alright I'll let you walk me out so he walks me out and get into my car and he just looks at me and just says there's such a need in South Dakota mm. and that that's all he said and I could not, I, my eyes just started leaking like crazy. I mean, just wow. the streams were coming down. I felt like an idiot because 
you're this manly farmer and I'm just this little city boy. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm just like, have a good night. So I'm driving home. And as I'm driving home, God, in fact, I, there's only two or three times in my life I feel like I've ever heard a near audible voice of God. Uh. I've never audibly heard of it. It's close as I ever have. And God was saying, go to South Dakota. You're going to South Dakota. And I'm audibly arguing, saying, no, <laughs> no. And uh, so I'm fighting with God in the car for 20 minutes as I'm driving home. I, I pull in the parking lot where we're living, and uh, I stop. I say, fine, God, fine. That's what you want me to do, I'll go. And when I said that, I felt just like a physical embrace wrap around me, and this beautiful peace came on me mm. in clarity, and the waterworks shut off, and it was just like, it was just Wow. So I got in the house and I, I told my wife, "Well, her, I go, Dave, God wants us to go to South Dakota." And uh, so for there for a year, in my senior Bible class, I didn't tell anybody about it. Just prayed about it, and mm-hmm. little by little, things kept resurfacing. Didn't go away. And I didn't tell my peers because I didn't want any outside influence. I just talked to my mm-hmm. pastor and my and and Virgin Sleva, and um, and. We had no idea what we were going to do. We just knew we were going to go to South Dakota. And so finally, when the day came to make that step, I called South Dakota's district superintendent, or Gary Lake at the time, and he um, he said, okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll give you a call back, let you know what, what we can use you for. Because all I told him was, I feel a passion to go, mm-hmm. and I'll do anything that needs to be done. That was it. I said, whatever needs to be done, I'll do and um, he called me back, and he says, I need you to, to build church work, build up church work in Watertown, South Dakota. And I'm like, what? Huh. Yes, wow. sir. I think it'd be good for you to pastor. And I'm like, what? I go, brother, I'm, I, I'm only 21. I'm turning 22 at the time. I go, and I just got married a year ago. I, and he goes, he goes, it'd be good for you to do this. Wow. And I said, Okay. And uh, so I just called my pastor and shared that with him, and he said, he said, go do it. He mm-hmm. said, there's a need, and anytime there's a need, you need to meet it. And uh, and that's all it was, was me meeting a need. And uh, so we went out there seven years ago by faith, never been there before, got in our 89 Fox Volkswagen, no power steering, stick shift, no mm-hmm. AC, and just put, put it our way over, and... Uh, Lived in the basement and started up church work. Wow, that's that's incredible, Sister Brown. Talk a little bit about that that time. Now, your husband comes in and he says, "You know, honey, we're going to South Dakota." What what's running through your mind? What are you thinking then? Um. Well. Um, to be honest, I didn't really think too much into it. I, mm-hmm. I just, you know, wherever you're going to go is wherever you're going to go. I, I prayed about it. I didn't feel any great revelations or anything. So, you know, I said, I'm going to go where you go. So, um, it's probably a good thing I didn't analyze it. I probably would have not done it or I would have went into it with a lot of fear. <laughs> You're probably but, right. <laughs> wow. I, I certainly didn't ever think I would be a pastor's wife or even want to be a pastor's wife, but God has a sense of humor. <laughs> wow. 
Well, I know you, you mentioned that earlier that you're very shy and, you know, doing some of these outreach things uh, was kind of a, a transition for you. What did you think about becoming a pastor's wife? I mean, how was that? How did you process that? And, and how were those early times? Uh, well, that that is the greatest struggle I faced, and it, it still is, because um, I am so shy. It's just, I've come a long way in seven years, but I have a long way to go. Just talking to people, I guess, I, sometimes I, I get thrown like I'm like a snob or something, you know? Cause, mm. But really, it's just me scared to death to talk to these people. Right. But... I, I know there's a certain mold, or it, it, even in my mind, I guess, that pastor's wives are supposed to fit, and I certainly do not fit that mold that I thought I should, but I know God isn't looking for us to fit a mold or image, and He just wants people to be real, Amen. to rely on Him to reach the world, and so that's what I'm trying to do. Amen. Hey, you know, I think that's a very real battle that that a lot of people face uh, I know when I was evangelizing I used to think boy you know I'm not this I'm not I don't have a certain way I talk or a way that I walk or I you know I'm just I didn't feel like the typical evangelist which I don't I don't know that there is a typical evangelist but I think that's something that we all deal with and and I think that's where it's important to know that God has called you and and that you're doing what you're supposed to do and and his hand is on you. What advice, Brother Brown, let's start with you. What advice can you give to a young man right now that feels a call to ministry? Well, I uh, jotted 12 quick little things. I won't go on, but just 12 little quick things I, I jotted on. Sure. Along the way, I've, I've kind of just learned from experiences. Um, you know, one, you're not too young, and... Uh, not too young for whatever the call is. And, you know, we know the Bible says, let no man despise your youth. But one of the common things I see as I've been involved uh, to interact with other young ministers is not so much our organization despising young people. Because I think the UPC does a great job in trying to promote young people, in my opinion, yes. and trying to encourage them and get them into ministry. But what I see a lot of is youth despising their own youth, hmm. where they, they sell themselves short for whatever reason. And I don't think they should despise their youth. I think they should do something despite their youth. Hmm. And uh, so you're not too young. The second thing I noted is you're not too poor. You know, a lot of people, I, I've heard this over and over, especially from peers I went to Bible college with in the process of graduating. A lot of people, they always had to hit this certain financial security level to feel as if that is the point in which they could be released. And I understand being uh, you know, responsible financially. But you're not too poor. My wife and I, when we moved out here, we, we literally had no money. We had no furniture. We, we moved and we slept on a floor and, uh, in a nasty, nasty basement with bugs crawling on us. It was, we had to mow the carpet weekly. It was growing as long as my wife's hair. It was just, it was a pitch, man. But in the midst of that, and we had no work for three months. We're looking mm. for work. But in the midst of that poverty, I won. It was. I didn't see poverty. All I saw was the call of God. I yeah. was, it was such an honor to do it, and so I wasn't depressed about that. But we've seen so many miracles hmm. financially because of our financial needs, and we're still 
still not anywhere financing by leaps and bounds. But uh, God miraculously, we have no school debt. Uh, we have no no big debt or anything other than you know we got a home, and uh, we got two kids now, a three year old and a one year old, and so the the money excuse is it is just an excuse. Hmm. Number three, you're not too stupid. Um, I do not consider myself intelligent whatsoever, um, and I find courage when I read in the book of Acts, you know, chapter four, that here these these ignorant fishermen, hmm. and there's this big uh, push. And it's, it's really getting stronger in, in our movement. I'm for education, and I went to Bible college, got a you know, degree, all that stuff. But there's this push for this intellectual thing, and I'm not against it. But again, God can use just ignorant, unlearned fishermen. Yeah. And uh, some of my favorite preachers are preachers that have no degrees, and they have no credentials other than the call of God. And number four, I put is you're not too talentless. Um, a lot of people feel they don't, and this is me, I, I have an inferiority complex, you know, I struggle with it for a while, and, here, and I just, you know, I don't have this ability, I don't have that ability, mm-hmm. I'm not like this or that, but I've learned God doesn't need ability, he needs availability, and God has helped me when I've made myself available. Number five, I, 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 I strongly encourage every young minister to memorize scripture. It's one of the biggest things I was privileged to be able to sit and and talk with uh, Brother N.A. Urshan before he passed away uh, when he was there at Calvary Tabernacle when I was in Bible college, and I was able to interview him and ask him questions and get advice. Hmm. And that dude, over and over and over again, said, memorize Scripture, get the Word in your heart, get the Word in your mind. When you're preaching, when you're witnessing, God will surface you can't bring to mind what's not in there. And so he really emphasized that on me. And I never heard of Bible quizzing. I met a couple Bible quizzers, and they were ladies who need the Word more than any guy preacher at the Bible college, and I was just like so impressed by it, so I started memorizing <laughs> mm-hmm. scripture, and that helps, especially when, you know, despising your own youth kind of thing. When you're 22 years old, and I'm teaching a, an attorney in his office, and the guy's got more degrees than a thermometer, he's smart, he's, three, he's twice my age, he's in his 50s, I'm 22, you want to all be intimidated. I was intimidated, mm-hmm. but I was able to look him in the eye and quote scripture when he'd ask questions. And at that point, my age didn't matter. Yeah. It was the answer. And he looked at me, not as a kid, but as someone that knew the Word, and that made the difference. Number six, revelation of doctrine. Um, if you're not getting the ministry, if you don't, don't have a revelation of oneness, holiness, Jesus' name, baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, uh, the depth and devotion of your doctrine will determine your destiny. And if, they, if, if someone is not, because every one of those areas will be challenged. And in the seven right. years they're in pastoring, there was a process where every one of those doctrines was challenged, and I had to make a stand, and I had to see people go from there. But after that, when I when I made my stand, the fear of it was gone. But I had a personal revelation of those before I came out and did this work, and I think it's very important. Um, teach Bible studies. It's the greatest thing ever, greatest experience ever. If you're going to be in ministry and you're not teaching Bible studies, I, I got a few choice words. I don't say nothing. Um, <laughs> number eight. Get the eyes off the pulpit. I I love preaching. I love being in a pulpit, but literally and most honestly, is the smallest part of what I do. Right. Uh, it's, it's off the pulpit. Um, the greatest pulpit I've ever been at is the dining room table. That's where I spend the most of my time is at the dining room table with people. Uh, number nine, get eyes off of payment or money. Uh, I, I, it was so sad to see me when I graduated. You know that so many people that I looked up to that I thought were amazing. 
just kind of sat and coasted right at the road to pine at the church and never went out and did anything because they were looking for a ministry that would they would get payment from, you know, that it could be this mm. student pastor, this church, or that church. And I had, uh, I did have an opportunity to go to a church and, and get paid, um, but that wasn't my call. And if I would have sat and waited for this payment, I would just keep kept sitting. And it's sad to see people sitting and waiting for a job to open up. Number ten, marry holy. If you don't marry uh, your spouse and they're not they're not holy, I'm telling you, I, I'm I'm blessed to have a wife that is an awesome representation of what I believe according to the Word of God, and she's holy. And when I'm weak, she's strong. And when I lack, she has. And, and there's times you're going to lack. And if you don't have a praying spouse, a holy spouse, uh, I've seen when I was in Bible college, there's three marriages that within one year got divorced. Within wow. one year of their marriage, got divorced at Bible college. Uh, I think a spouse is very important. Number 11, don't buy the lie that there are no opportunities. Uh, I hear all these people saying, well, there's no opportunity. Opportunity, to make an opportunity. There's yeah. opportunities everywhere. Yeah. And uh, you just need to be exposed to it. And if there is no opportunity, go, go start one. And uh, if you're sitting in a church waiting, no pastor never lets me preach. There's, there's, there's homeless people, there's soup kitchens, there's mm. bread runs, there's children's ministry. And that's all I simply did. And I had no idea that when I was doing that, God was preparing me for home missions work. I was told in all these directions, and now I understand it was because God was preparing me to be a church planner. And if I didn't have all those passions and all those exposures, I would not be able to do what I'm doing. And then uh, last, don't, don't let family dictate your destiny. Another thing that I've seen a lot of young ministers make mistakes on, especially young couples that get married, is their family dictates what they can and where they can go. And there's this pull on them. You know, oh, stay by your family, you'll be far from family. Mm. And it is it is a sacrifice, but it is the call of God that is most important. I have family in California, I have family in Illinois. I'm in the middle of those two lands, in the middle of nowhere. If I let my family dictate my call, I would not be seeing an awesome church get burned in Watertown, South Dakota. Mm. And so many people I've talked to, they, well, there's no Christian, there's no apostolic Christian school there. My children, there's no fellowship there. I think the call of God is all that matters. And I'm, for Tapia, I'm personally, I personally believe that there are thousands of more church planners that are in their 20s. You said that there's, there's 32 20 year olds starting churches. I believe there's thousands more that should have started churches or should be starting churches but they haven't for some of those reasons I mentioned. And the, there's a sad scripture, it's 2 Chronicles 29-34, and there's revival happening. Hezekiah is trying to bring about revival to the land of Israel, and all of a sudden, when people start going to church, they find that they, there's not enough priests. The Bible says the priests were too few. There was not enough altar workers. They couldn't handle all the sacrifices. They couldn't ha- handle all the offerings. And I believe a revival is coming in these last days. And my fear is the priests are too few. And just like First Samuel 13, 19, there was no blacksmith found in all the land of Israel. And so they had to go somewhere else and find one to make their weapons. And I think there's more blacksmiths out there. I think there's more priests out there. But they're simply not doing it for whatever reason. Hmm. That's good there. stuff. Thank you for that. Sister Brown, what advice can you give to a young lady that feels a call to ministry? I would say that do whatever you can do right now, whether it's teaching Sunday school, 
singing, cleaning the church, mowing the lawn. I mean, just have a willing heart. And no matter how small you may think it is, it's still ministry. Um, also, I wouldn't don't seek ministry or a position, but rather just seek a relationship with Jesus, and everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're a young woman who is married, and your husband feels a call, do not question him or hinder him. Follow him wherever he feels God is leading him, and make his calling your calling. I know some women, you know, they they have to feel the calling of their own, you know, to go to the town that they feel their husband was called. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I didn't feel any calling to South Dakota because God called my husband there, and so I just followed him. Mm. And I just, if you follow your husband wherever he feels God is leading him, make his calling your own. That may mean leaving your comfortable life or your family, but God has called us to leave our families and cleave to our husbands. You know, you're your husband's helper. So my advice would just be to support him in his call and his ministry. That's great. That's great advice. And and one thing I want to point out too, Brother Brown, you'd mentioned this earlier that you were you were in close communication with your pastor and you were in close communication with a mentor. And I think that's very important for young people to recognize too that that God doesn't uh, won't just put something in our hearts that won't be affirmed by the ministry. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. Yes, sir. And uh, if you don't have a yes from God and a yes from your pastor, you're head for disaster. Now talk a little bit about about those times of, of loneliness. Now, being away from family and friends, uh, and I've experienced this myself. My family's from Indiana. Uh, my family's from Minnesota. My wife's family's from Indiana. So there is there are times uh, when we face uh, maybe questioning, you know, did I do the right thing? And, and you know, I, I feel like I'm alone. How, how do we deal with that? Uh, we'll start with you, Brother Brown, and then Sister Brown, maybe you can kind of give us your perspective on that. Well, definitely loneliness. You know, I can't speak for everyone's experiences, but, you know, my own, the, the big shock for me was, you know, being in an Illinois district and in Indiana district and Bible College, Calvary Tabernacle, Church Over a Thousand, and then you go to South Dakota and there are only six churches. This whole constituency at that time was probably less than 400 people wow. uh, that represented that district. Um, traveling two hours to six, seven hours uh, for fellowship uh, within that district. And then everyone in that district, all the ministers, are two to three times your age. Um, the only reason I'm a youth president, Brother Tavi, is not because I was so like cool and suave and anointed. I was the first <laughs> legal age youth president they had in multiple years. The past two were in the wow. 40s. Um, so, so simply, when I came out here, it was a culture shock mm-hmm. from Chicago to a rural town, small town. And then the district layout, everything, it was just very different. And the first uh, year and a half was probably the most depressing of my life, to be honest with you. I mean, I was pumped up about revival kind of thing, but it didn't take very long to get uh, lonely and depressed. And uh, it didn't take long to figure out what winters are like in South Dakota when it's <laughs> negative 30 and you got 60-mile-an-hour winds and oh, there's wow. no buildings to stop the wind. Um, 
I was stuck in the basement for weeks and just scratching at the walls going crazy. Um, so yeah, we, we hit loneliness and depression very fast. And, uh, it, it, it literally, I mean, it, it killed me. And I, I thought it was defeated and done for the grace of God. You know, we made it through all that, but, uh, it's going to happen. And that's when the devil picks people off like a sniper. You know, if you could separate them from the pack, you know, mm-hmm. you get a snack. And, uh, that's, I was separated. And, uh, my wife made mention a moment ago, one of the important things, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that right. sounds so cliche TV. But literally, it has to start there. Because hmm. if you can be in His presence, you're not alone. You're with God Almighty, and you're and, and building that. I really built a strong prayer life simply by that process, hmm. prayer and the Word. One thing I learned to fight that loneliness aside from prayer and the Word is to listen to preaching. You know, for the first time in my life, I'm pouring out and nothing's pouring in. And I, I was only saved by the foolishness of preaching. And so I listened to Calvary, Calvary Tabernacle online over and over and over again. Those online ministries are huge. And, uh, I, I made the mistake of not getting preached at the first year and a half. And, uh, I quickly, when I, when I, when I was moved by listening to a sermon, I realized, wow, there, there's a difference when I'm getting preached at and when I'm not. Wow. And so I've made it a practice in my life, Holy Ghost Radio Life. Like to get, I'm, I'm getting preached at every week, every week. I'm getting preached at sometimes daily, every day, a couple of sermons, you know. And um, that really has saved my soul. And then I've learned to, um, you know, uh, to call and connect to people of all ages, not just one age group. I think it's important to stay connected to peers, you know, to, to middle age and to, see, uh, to, to more seasoned you know, saints and uh, getting that balance, you know, people where they're at and the people where they've been, and that's helped me. And uh, one of these ministers gave me advice to go to at least two conferences a year, hmm. and I've made that a practice. And uh, it sounds it sounds stupid, and I know people bash conferences sometimes, but when when you need to be connected to the body to live, uh, it's important to be connected to something outside of your district to to see the greater cause. The greater movement, hmm. and uh, I, I think I, I believe it should be essential now to go to general conference. It's, it's been good for me, maybe not everyone else, but man, it's showed me something I've never seen before. And uh, also, uh, the other conference we go to is because of the time. Uh, again, I don't know what conferences people go to, but I, I choose to go to two a year, and those things mm-hmm. help me to fight loneliness. And uh, it's been a blessing to to be able to go and sacrifice to go to those things. Sister Brown, what about you? How do you deal with loneliness, and how have you worked through some of that stuff? Um, the Word of God has gotten me through so many times. I read it over and over in my head. Sometimes I lay in bed if I can't sleep, and I just I say Scripture over and over until I feel peace and I can sleep. Um, I read it aloud in my house. I post it in my kitchen, on my bathroom mirror. I listened to music and preaching. Um, I did. I had a hard time after I had my son leaving the, the workforce and staying home, and I did have a hard time the whole year of where I just had to adjust to being by myself all day. And those are the things that have really helped me out. So I have an older pastor's wife who I call for accountability, advice, encouragement when I need it. Um, I've even gotten to the place where 
my home, I I anoint the doors. I hmm. I pray loneliness and discouragement out of the house. Sounds silly, but when you're desperate, you do weird things. <laughs> Amen. Um, I've learned I don't walk according to how I feel, but by the faith I have in Jesus and His Word. And um, I guess sometimes you got to take advantage of the loneliness because if you're busy and you've got people around you all the time, God doesn't really have a chance to speak to you. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're by yourself. You can really, you can really work through some things in your life that you know you wouldn't have recognized that were there if you got people around you constantly. So loneliness isn't all bad. Um. Otherwise, I guess there are times where I just have to sit and cry and pour out my heart to God. And one of my favorite verses is First Peter five seven, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Wow, that's great. Well, thank you for for that, and and that's a very powerful uh, way of dealing with it. And sometimes, you know, we don't like to talk about these. Uh, this is I would consider the the trenches. Uh, talk, you know, when people are really dealing with this type of stuff. And I thank you for sharing uh, your insight and, and how you've processed some of these things. And I wonder, in closing right now, if, if uh, Brother Brown and Sister Brown, if you could each uh, just say a prayer over that young person right now that feels a call to ministry and that, that is looking into the future and, and they're going to be dealing with some of this stuff. I wonder if you just take a minute and pray for them right now. Jesus, my Lord, you know all that will be exposed to hearing God this this interview, and I just pray in the name of Jesus that someone hears the right word at the right time. And I pray, God, that you would help them. I pray that you would just help them to make some very important decisions in their life, God. And you know the pressures, especially of being young in 20s today, and just trying to do the will of God. There's pressures from family, there's pressures from peers, there's a lot of decisions to make and a lot of directions to go. But I pray in the name of Jesus for a clear voice, and I pray for strong conviction, God. And so don't hold on to that, and maybe obedient to your call and to your word, and fulfill your purpose and plan for the life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Lord, I pray for the young people that are feeling a call to ministry, God. I pray that distractions and the things of this world would be stripped away and that nothing would be more important than your word and then the lost people and the call that you have placed on their life. Whether it be friends, family, or money, or any other situation, I pray you strip those things away and that your word would be the most important thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother and Sister Brown, thank you so much for joining us today. It's It's been an honor to have you and we wish you the best in your ministry. Thank you, Rikadi. God bless you, and we're seeing you soon. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship Podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com, where you'll find more interviews, inspirational quotes, and other resources to help you develop in your ministry. Thanks for listening, and God bless.